So welcome. Listen, if you are new or new-ish, please, please, please reach in front of you and pull out one of those little info cards. Please let us know you're here. We're doing our best to accommodate fast and rapid explosion growth, but we, but we sit with those pieces of information every week. We want to contact you. Listen to me. There are restaurants and coffee shops in this town that need us to patronize them while we have the conversation of your story. We want to know who you are. We want to know what God is doing. At this point, the thing just kind of went poof, and I feel like we lost. Like, I used to be able to greet every new person at ANC every Sunday. How many of you guys did I find you on your first Sunday? Yes. There's a whole bunch of you. Brandon, your first Sunday. But the, the truth is, I used to be able, I, I had this little, this little filter I'd run, so I knew you'd show up early and you'd read your bulletin, and we all know that there's nothing in your bulletin that matters, and none of, none of us show up early. So I, I had this built-in little exposure. You'd show up and I could catch you, but that's not happening anymore because it's difficult to figure out how to navigate the hallway. If you are here, please, please let us know who you are, your story. If we can help you find a place that fits better, we'll do that. If this is your home that God is calling you to, we've been praying for you. We've got lots of work to do in this city. So let us know if you're here. And while we're on the subject of new people and connecting, you need to know that we have a Restore Group launch coming soon where we're gonna gather everyone in the room who's not currently part of one but would like to be part of one. And we're just gonna do this old school. We're gonna cast some vision. We're gonna break it into groups. We're gonna send you to go do that work. We'll call you back maybe two weeks later, touch base, and jumpstart some of those processes. But here's what I want to say about that. Many of you guys are waiting for us to connect you. All right, I'm going to get honest with you. Is that okay? Mine as well. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And we all know what's going to happen, unfortunately, don't we? Is anybody even planning to, like, not even watch the game? That's me. Here's, here's what I wanted to tell you. If you're waiting on us to connect you for you, you're going to be disappointed because we can't do that work for you. If you are in this building and you're like, man, I've been coming for a week and I don't know any new people, my encouragement to you is make a connection. Reach out to someone next to you. Exchange a phone number. Go have a meal on South Lamar after we're done here. Make a move. Here's the truth about restore groups, and maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but my favorite thing to do isn't sit in a living room with 14 people. I love to go to lunch with you or coffee with you or maybe two of you or three of you. So, so restore groups may not be the answer that you're all looking for, although we're, we're about to launch into that. You maybe just need to be connected. Be bold. No one's going to do that for you. Can you take a hard word this morning? People who leave this church and say, well, I never got connected. I just want to panic because the reality is, is people who want to connect themselves figure it out. So we have to establish enough touch points for you, enough systems and on-ramps for you to do that. But the work is on you. Listen, community is hard work. It doesn't fall into your lap. Are you with me this morning? I might need to see a hand or somebody say, "Uh uh-huh, so I know you're alive, that I'm not freaking you out. Okay. This is the second week of a series that we're calling What We See, or if you look on our website under About Us and drop down to the menu about, um, what's that menu read? Vision, I guess. We're describing the church we see, and I want to put the same sort of caveat on that that Brandon put last week, and it is basically this. By saying that we see this church does not mean that this is the church that we are. We're going to need your grace as we build the church that we imagine but it is by no means the church that we have in front of us at this exact moment in time. Can you understand that? The thing that we see, the thing that we're trying to build, the thing that we're working for is not exactly the thing we have yet, but we're working for it and we're moving in that direction. If you are the kind of person who can instantaneously point out the gaps and the reasons why we're not exactly what we say we are, that doesn't make you insightful and it certainly doesn't make you prophetic. 
it makes me wonder why you're not rolling up your sleeves and plugging in and helping us get there. You follow me? Everybody's got a Monday morning opinion about church, mostly around how it served and met your needs. But here's what I know to be true about church. We are not baby birds. Long-term immaturity and a demand to be fed and a lack of development is nothing to be proud of, and it's not something that your pastoral team at ANC is going to scramble to solve for you. We will set the table and welcome you to it. Boy, this sounds really harsh. I need to crack a joke. Either that or cry, because Brandon told us last week the the secret to our team. He cries, and I, I make dumb jokes, I guess. Better lighten up and go a new direction. But this is the church we envision. My heart stops every time I read that list of things because I so desperately want this church to become that. All of my attention is focused on how can we as a community move in the direction of these things. We all come from church backgrounds. If you looked at the places that we've incubated and that we've trained on our way to this little place, you would know that we've seen a lot of different ways to do this. A lot of different ways to do this. But when we say that we see something different, we mean that. And here's what we know, anybody who rides motorcycles in the room, you go towards what you're looking at, which is why you don't want to look down in a curve, because that's where you're going to go, right? We're seeing these things. These are the things that have caught our attention. And the ongoing invitation for you is this. Join us in the building of a church that looks like this. Okay, some of you are wondering, how come I didn't take the time to go online and check out what that is? Well, I'm going to jump into the second piece of that today for you. Brandon last week talked about our ecumenical posture, and that's a word that I own. I own the word ecumenical far more than I own the word evangelical. Little side story, we'll talk that out at Maria's someday, you and I, if that's a problem. But he talked about our ecumenical posture. The way it's worded on that vision statement is simply a church that partners beyond our denomination and beyond our particular tradition. Now, you'll learn fast and you'll learn immediately around here that we are proud to be United Methodists. But not in the sense that we think that ours is the only real thing in Austin. Hear me now. We are proud to be where we are, but that pride doesn't give us the ability to say, and by the way, we're the only thing going that matters. I'm not a United Methodist in that sense. I'm nothing in that sense, if you can hear me. We are part of a family. We love that family. And we understand that that family is by design incomplete. No way does the UMC embody all that God wants to do in Austin. No way. Step away from that conclusion if that's you. Everything God has ever done in a particularity of one place is by design incomplete. Why? Because the only thing we all share in common across history, across race, across nations, across stories, the only thing we share in common is that we were designed to interdepend because none of us fully enfleshed the reality of what God is doing in the world today. That might be a place to say, "Mm mm-hmm, or not. Super white church up in Austin, man. Y'all give me something, something. I was missing Houston today all of a sudden, right? I say this word, and you're gonna, you're gonna get tired of me saying this, but I mean this word. We are post-tribal in that sense. God is doing something rich. I spoke to pastors in this city who in 1992, imagine this, we feel super courageous in 2017 to be an inclusive church that welcomes all to all levels of leadership and service. We feel super courageous, and I talked to a man who did it in 1992. We're part of a family that is rich and it is deep and I know that God is doing amazing things right next door to that church too. There's no way to contain it, guys. God's heart for this city is not a denominational, it's not tribal, it's post-tribal in the sense that it's about all of the broken. It's about everything that God is doing and I might be getting excited so I should chill out. 
I have this horrible habit of sounding really angry. I'm not angry. It just matters to me. And I do jazz hands. Got to stop that. So here's what I understand that our charge is working within a family, within the United Methodist family of this city. Our charge is to at once and simultaneously preserve and innovate. Preserve and innovate. There are deep DNA strands, double helix formations that we can pull from the 1700s and the 1800s and say we are Methodist in this way and yet we must constantly innovate within this space because what God is doing is always new. Revelation comes in layers. There's no final depiction of what God has ever said to the human family. We're taking it layer at a time and so we preserve and we innovate and that is our charge. He's poured himself out. God has poured God's self out in particular traditions, but in ways that if we understand and if we dig deep enough, we'll say, I love you, what I'm doing in this place, and now go and see what else I've done around you. I'm building up an intro to that second piece of vision. So you're going to see us partner with entities in this city to do mission that absolutely have nothing to do with United Methodist Church. You're going to see us partner with people, nonprofits that aren't even faith-based. Why? Because they're doing good work. You're going to see us share space with people who have very different ideas about the end point and the end game and how they got there. You're going to see us partner across this tradition. Why? Because we interdepend if we're ever going to see the full revealing of God. There are people in this place and in this city that we will work with that don't know the difference between a United Methodist and a Manchester United fan. That's my favorite little line. Y'all, come on, it's Super Bowl Sunday and you know I don't like football. God gave me five daughters because he knew I just was not going to be able to. Sorry about that. So let's read that second vision together. We're going to dig into some scripture. Here's what it says. We see a church that cares passionately for the oppressed. Follow along on your very small 65-inch screen TVs. There's four of them. We see a church that cares passionately for the oppressed, the abandoned, the helpless, and those in spiritual, relational, and physical need. We believe it is the church's responsibility to lead this movement in both our community and throughout the world. And as heretical as it might seem to pray after reading a piece of our vision, let's pray very briefly. Holy Spirit, bring awareness to us today and open our minds and hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to dig into the word in a minute. Honestly, folks, some statements practically preach themselves. There's not much you can add to that. That'll preach just by reading it. But here's what, I'm, here's what I'm here to tell us today. We're not talking about duty. We're talking about a group of people who passionately understand this to be our responsibility. I'm gonna build this brick on brick today, and I'm hoping I'm gonna move you in a direction where you can agree with me that if there is no so- social justice built into the gospel, it is not the gospel. It is something less than the gospel. Guys, it's, it's, it's time we wake up and understand that these things that we believe are designed to upset every structure, every institution, everything that goes on around us. They are by design supposed to spread like wildfire. In fact, I would say it takes a great work of institutional inward focus to stop the gospel from spreading. And there's huge dangers when we do that. Here's my question for you. What would it look like in South Austin if we could build a church that actually embodied that statement? that understood passionately, not by duty. It's not duty. I don't do this because I have to. I'm passionate about this. Building a group of people that are part of a movement that understands that the oppressed, 
the abandoned, the hungry, the naked, the disenfranchised, the outsider, you fill in the blank, is by design our responsibility to understand how to touch and how to make that the target of God's love. What would this city look like if we understood that to be our goal? Not the filling of a building. Guys, drunk musicians fill buildings all day long in Austin. Nothing special there. Not the flipping of a place and making it all white and cool. Nope, that happens all the time. But the building of a community that understood that its charge in this city was to go straight for the margin. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, and by the way, that's profoundly Methodist. That's historically probably the most truly Wesleyan move you can make. We'll have that conversation at some other time. Matthew preserves some of the earliest teachings of Jesus that begin with these following words. You know these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We call those the Beatitudes. That's probably the beginning of Jesus' first big podcast launch, right? Luke preserves them a little differently. He simply records Jesus by saying, blessed are the poor. He leaves it there. Either way, poverty is poverty. I understand that. Whether physical or spiritual, either way, it's poverty. But these are not the words of Jesus that I want to study today. I want to go back a little bit further in Jesus' life and pick up in Luke chapter 4. Let's read these words. These ought to be somewhat familiar to some of us. Luke 4, verse 16, reads this way. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the church. Mm -mm. Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from uh, the prison. Let's see. Freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he, mic drop, right? Then he rolls up the scroll and he gives it back to the attendant and he sits down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What do we have here? Before Jesus called disciples, when Jesus is first stepping into public space and filling emptiness with words, he tells us, before any other questions could be asked or answers, answered, he tells us who his target audience is going to be. He begins his ministry with this statement, and here's how we know how to find God, because if we can get to the point where he said, this is who I'm talking to, you will find God every time, right there. Here's what he's doing. He's identifying the market that the product he's about to launch will target. He's starting to pick his offense, Right? He's beginning to hire a touring band, right? He's stepping out and telling us, these are the initial stock picks that I would go for. You get the picture. Notice the purpose of his anointing. Now, nobody knew quite yet how deeply anointed this man was, and he's telling us hit the purpose of his anointing. What is it? It's to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoner, sight to the blind, and release for the oppressed. He's telling us what matters most in this new kingdom economy that he will take the next three years explaining and no one will basically understand. Here's my translation of this whole thing. He's telling us where to look to find God. You want to find me in the earth? You want to find what I'm up to? I'm going to tell you where I'm going to be. Look for the oppressed and the poor and the outsider. Anyone intimate with the pain of hunger, anyone who knows thirst, anyone who could feel the strain of the chains at the wrists and the ankles, any member of the voiceless, the nameless, the disenfranchised underbelly of society, the things that we whitewash over so we don't notice, any member of that crowd could straighten up, look forward, and just expect to receive what God was going to do. All of this, the outsiders had courtside seats to the greatest revealing of God's love. 
Here's a couple of takeaways if you're paying attention. Number one, the good news had a particular audience in mind. That thought alone will reconstruct every institution we've ever built up inside the church and around it to preserve our little safety of places where we agree and we all believe the same. The good news had a particular audience in mind, meaning good news is designed for specific people in specific life situations. I know people who would say, God does not do miracles anymore in our time. There's a word for them. It starts with a D. The acronym is something like dispensationalists. They don't happen to thrive in the circles that we thrive in. But they would say, God is not doing these things. Why? Because beggars, you know, blind people aren't opening their eyes. He's not doing these things. I would say, listen, maybe it's because you're speaking the gospel to people who have no need. Perhaps it's because you're preaching the good news to people who have already had the good news their entire life. You follow me? So here's something that you can learn if you're paying attention to what Jesus is up to. Good news has an intended target. It's all the wrong people. Second thing you can learn from this, any institution that might rise up around this teaching to preserve this good news will either understand this target audience and keep it at the center, or it will fold in on itself over time. We could talk forever about stories that illustrate that point. I've been thinking a lot about faith communities these days. With your permission, I want to say a couple of things. I want to say them straight, as long as you're okay with that, and I'm going to take that as a yes. Listen to me, if the goal of your faith community is to gather away from the spaces in society where real, where real people hurt and yearn to be fed and yearn to be clothed, if your goal of the faith community is to gather away from those things so that you can feel really good about your understanding of the Bible, you are doomed to legalism and indifference. And the people who are broken in our city will drive past every day and they won't even notice your $25,000 marquee. Oh, I know, let's build a bigger sign, attract more people. Guess what? If the good news isn't good, no one's listening. At least not the people that Jesus is targeting. If the goal of your faith community is to hive away and to hide away with people who agree with you on every point, then I would argue you've not even understood the context of the Bible, much less the content. Maybe hang with that thought for a minute. Maybe let that germinate in your mind. Another way of saying this might be, might be this. You're doomed to a life of religious institution if you forget about the people who were designed to be the audience of the good news of Jesus Christ. All you've got is religion and institution. You're like the person who's got the wall-to-wall -wall mural of Disney World, but you never get to go there. You get to see it, you get to hear it, you get to imagine what it's like, but you never get to experience the kingdom if you if, if all you can do is remove yourself and, and hide away from broken and hungry and lost, and listen, I know it's messy, that's the point. That's the whole point. We see a church that knows that good news will stop being good if we remove the poor and the hungry and the thirsty and the broken. I don't even know how to begin to illustrate this. We could do a thousand different illustrations. One that comes to mind is this. Paul writes about the gifts of the Spirit in the public assembly, and if you notice, he always writes about, here, do this this way so that the people who don't know, who don't know what's going on don't think you're mad. What does he mean? Here's the deal about the gifts of the Spirit. They become hierarchies of power when you take away the onlooking world. When you just surround yourself with Christians and, oh, I can prophesy, oh, I can speak in tongues and all these crazy things, and, and, we, and we've got all these categories. Well, I do this, and I've got the gift of this. They become ways that we demonstrate power over one another when you remove the world from the midst. They were never designed to be for the choir. Or think about this. 
little piece of history. Think about American slavery, the unique institution that is slavery in America. Oh, you don't think this is a theological construct? Oh, read your history again. This time, read it from the perspective of the African-American slave or the Native American who was dispossessed. There's a formidable theological framework that emerges from our southern pulpits. And oh, it's got the backing of every Bible text you could imagine. Here's the problem. They forgot that the gospel is designed to set the person free. How do you get yourself in this position where you say, all men are free? Well, except unless you're, you know, that color, you're not free. How do you get there? I'll tell you how you get there. Remove margin from the middle of what the mission of the church is, and you have no choice but to end up there. You will end up locked into your tribe, and it'll be all about who's right and who's on the outside. I could go on and on and on, but I won't. We're talking about the primacy of audience, the importance of the end point, the importance of who's listening, who's within earshot of this news that to us is so good. Boy, I hope you're hearing me today. There is no difference. There is no shade or degree of, 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 of distance between social justice and the gospel that we preach. Here's the bottom line. Church is a huge waste of your time, not to mention your money. If it loses, misplaces, mistakes, its intended audience. If all we do is define and redefine those things about which we are all so certain, until we're not, then we're certain about something else. If all you do is constantly distance yourself from people who just need a burrito, they just need a little help with rent, they just need to know that, they, that, that God is not done with them, if all we do is distance ourselves, then we end up with something far less than the real gospel. It might be the mural of the gospel, but it's not the real destination. Here's my point. Only distance from the real broken and the hurting in our world can produce such toxic nonsense that we call theology. It's misguided in every way. The very face of it contradicts the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, and yet we have biblical texts that endorse it, that hold it up, and it doesn't hold a prayer because it runs counter to the life of God in the world. But it takes distance for that to become toxic. And we see a church that closes that distance, that will empty its general fund on behalf of the poor. Why? Because that's what we think is, is what matters. It's not about these other things. It's about the people in the margin. You take the gospel and you surround it with a choir, all you've got left is a theological system. And I'm not sure the world needs another one of those. The gospel was meant to set free Everyone within earshot. Here's what I want you to hear about this vision statement. We don't feed the poor at ANC or set the captive free or advocate on behalf of the LGBT community. We don't do these things that we do because it's kitschy and it's, it's hipster and it's cool to do on South Lamar. We don't do these things because this is what millennials need. They need to be cause-driven. We do these things because we understand that in the doing of these things, we are encountering Jesus himself and oh, by the way, our very soul might just be being saved in this exchange. That's why we do these things. This isn't some cause-driven new spin on whatever. We understand these things to be essentially the following thing. This is worship for us. You say, worship, how do you, how do you get there, preacher man? Let me tell you. Matthew 25 tells us very simply a story of sheep and goats, and when Jesus gathers those to himself, he's gonna say, you guys did the work, and I have no idea who you are. You know the story. For us 
to serve the poor is worship because it's actually taking care of Jesus in the world. You say, well, that sounds pretty heretical. Grab your Bible and read it again. We do this because we not only see God in this, we see ourselves in this. The ways that we are attached and that we clench and we cleave and we hold on and we don't let go. And we're flowing in this river of life and we're grabbing under the roots as we go because we can't release these things. We learn to release those bits of control that remain by emptying ourselves on behalf of those who just need to know that God is good. The words of Matthew attribute, that, that Matthew attributes to Jesus are these, essentially. You were busy alleviating the suffering of the poor. And although you didn't know that that made you my child, welcome into the kingdom. And those of you who lined up and knew you were absolutely right about all of the things in the history of ever, never bothered yourselves. And yet you know my middle name and you claim to have my bank account number and you think you're my kid and the reality is I have no idea who you are. And that momentary revelation that, oh my gosh, that was you, Jesus, at the corner. That was you sleeping under Manshack and, and Ben White. That was you. I get it now. Jesus will say this, I am them and they are me. And that's how I'm in the world. And that's who you ought to serve because I was taught in seminary that your very first school of formation is worship. It's what changes you. It's the dance, the coming and the going and the going back and forth that actually moves you in the direction of transformation. That's what we call worship and that's how we find Jesus. Jesus is active in the world. He's incredibly active in Austin. Here's the question for us. Can we define our mission broadly enough to encounter him? These are the things that keep me up at night. How not to let this become institutional. How not to let this become folded in on itself and just be about the maintenance of a cool thing because it feels really cool. And guess what? It's going to go super out of style. There will be a time when line arrays of really expensive speakers aren't even cool anymore. I have last really cool speakers that, that Faith had. They were hanging from these two pillars. And I imagine, Chuck, when those were bought, those were super cool. I've got them in my office just to remind me that what's so in right now and so amazing and so cutting edge has got a ticking expiration date coming at you. And the question remains, and I think Kendall brought this up, what has God up to in this city? What has God up to? We see that question at the very center of everything we do. It's the black sheep on the five-foot painting in our, in our room where we have our meetings. If you haven't seen it, go to the bathroom and peek in the room, uh, that first room on your right. It's the question we ask. Everything we decide, every dollar, where's it going to go? Who are we going to hire? How are we going to do this? What are we going to do? The question for me is, is it reaching broken, poor, hungry, thirsty, lost people? Because if it isn't, you can have it. I'll go work at Starbucks or I'll go teach somewhere. I think you hear what I'm saying. Here's what I want us to catch about Jesus. There's nothing mystical here. There's nothing ethereal. There's nothing even innovative. In fact, the, the, the charge to take care of the broken and the refugee and the lost was the original ancient charge of the Hebrew people. They had misplaced it. They had overrun the headlights. They had ended up flying off the, the curve somehow. They missed it. The train jumped the tracks. And he's not even innovating. He's simply saying, this is center. And at this point, they're so far off that they crucify him so they don't have to keep listening to him bring conviction around their purpose. Hebrew society was organized on this concept, but they missed it. They lost their way, and it would be almost entertaining if it wasn't so true about us too. Sometimes our gospel does not transform because it is no longer good. Because we've surrounded it 
with the choir and the converted and those with degrees in theology and degrees in apologetics. And the next thing you know, we wonder, would I even do this if I didn't feel obligated? If it wasn't a question of duty, if I didn't feel on Monday that God smiled because I was in church on Sunday, would I even go there? For most of us at ANC, the answer is no. About once a month, I'll show up. That's our church, right? That was supposed to be funny, but it wasn't very funny at all. <laughs> so maybe you don't like Jesus as Robin Hood. Perhaps Jesus as the grassroots organizer is distasteful for you. Maybe the redistribution of wealth concept buried in our biblical narrative elicits visceral political responses from you. I'm just telling you that anything we build to memorialize our Jesus will have to understand and remain focused on the intended audience, which is the margin, period. If I had a mic, I'd drop it. Maybe you like Matthew's words better than Luke's. Maybe you understand spiritual poverty and you can say, yes, blessed are the, are, are the poor in spirit. Maybe you're not happy that Luke left that off. Maybe you're not ready to get shit on you. Sorry, Trey, you, I told you, Trey, not to put that word in my notes. It's right here. Why did you do that? Here's the plainest way that I can say this. You will have to be content with the mural of the real thing unless you let it go and you recognize that what mattered most to Jesus the man ought to matter most to the church in the world today. Jesus was a material mystic. He was an earthly God. He was a worldly deity with an actual tangible restoration of all things on his mind. That's what was on his mind. I wish he was just a contemplative philosopher who sat in the lotus position and taught. I wish it would be so easy. But he wasn't. He was dirty. He was most of the time ceremonially unclean, and he would tell the people that he would heal, shh, don't tell the authorities because they'll have to sit outside of town for the next week while I get clean. Real people have always been the point, and that is my point, and that's what ANC is built on. I love the opportunity to explain what we see when we see the local church because I know there's a lot of faces in the room who are hearing this for the first time. We were built with those people in mind. Are we perfect? Absolutely not, but it's our center, God told Brandon and Jen 10 years ago, go serve the poor. He had a perfectly good job. Fast rising executive in executive style ministry. So was I, so was Trey. We were doing this stuff. Jesus told Brandon, hey, the poor, don't forget the poor. And this is what we have all these years later. And let me just tell you this. We're either gonna get there or we're gonna die trying to get there. But we are just not gonna institutionalize and fold in. We're just not gonna do it. We're not gonna let that happen. Final thought. We don't do this to be cool. We don't do this to attract millennials. Don't look at the millennials sitting next to you. <laughs> we don't do this because this is what's in style. You know, 25 years ago, it was something else. We don't do this for those reasons. We understand that the gospel around which we are built, that the good news of Jesus that we are called to proclaim and to preach, but most of all to be transformed by and to embody, we understand that that gospel has an intended audience. If you don't like social justice, then I don't know that you like the gospel. It will always untie the bound. It will always feed the hungry. It will always bring a cool drink of water to the thirsty. It will always give a voice to the ones that we, that, that we shove to the side and, and leave voiceless. It will always do that. And here's what it will do. It will make us awful people if we don't join it. Let's just walk away and let's just build a philosophical thing instead. But if we're gonna be about the gospel, I'm telling you it's gonna require us to give up that control and to flow with that river to bring life to where there is no life and to bring comfort where loneliness is only at this point. And in this exchange, 
Not only will the world be changed, but our souls might just be saved. We might just actually understand what Jesus meant when he said the gospel that I come to preach, the anointing that I have, is for the poor, the naked, the blind, the hungry, and the oppressed. Let's pray.